I'll stand. I'm going to ask you to get your Bibles out to Matthew, the 16th chapter. Matthew 16. Beginning in verse 13. Anybody has it? When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was very impetuous, very, you know, just talk quick. Peter carried his heart on his sleeve. Verse 17. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overcome it. Verse 20, then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he what? Must go to Jerusalem and what? And what? How many things? At the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law. That he must, must be killed. And on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. He said this. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get ye behind me. What did he call him? You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. But the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will what? But whoever loses his life will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Or what a man if he given his change for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has, what? Being, being a doer of the word. Father, I pray that we would raise up doers of your word. Not just hearers only. Not just Sunday only Christians, but we would become all you want us to be. Lord, we honor you and we bless you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Everybody together said? Amen. You may be seated now. The King James Version of this, excuse me, the uh, J.B. Phillips translation of this portion of our scripture that I read there regarding to calling Peter Satan. J.B. Phillips translates it by saying, get out of my way, Satan. Okay? And these are some very, very powerful, uh, degrading words, especially, my friend, in the light of three key reasons that Jesus explained to Peter, okay? First of all, the, the, one of the, the first reason why, out of the three, why these are degrading words is of who uh, said these words. Jesus said these very words, okay? See, by and large, Christ was not the kind of a person that would demean somebody or look down on somebody. He wasn't. He was a, he was a God of love. Uh, but he has to say these words to Peter, there was never a more loving, a more compassionate person than the Lord. So it's who said these words. Then the second reason why these words are so shocking was to whom these words were being said. To whom? These words, get out of my way, Satan, were not said to, to somebody that was an outright enemy 
of Christ. Not at all. They were said to, to a friend, not to a foe. Are you with me? They were said to somebody that was his friend. I mean, isn't it too much where you got to tell your friend, you got to rebuke your friend, you got to tell your friend something? Uh, I mean, I hate to do that when I have to say that to one of my friends. Uh, but Christ had to say, he didn't say it to a foe. He said it to a friend. Then the third reason why these words are shocking, okay, was because of when they were said. These words were spoken by Jesus to Peter immediately after just having commended and lauded and buttered up Peter. He just told him, man, you a bad dude. Look at that. Uh, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Ooh, you got it together. You got it going on, Peter Eat. By the way, the title of the sermon is called Peter Pan. All right? Because he was always either in the frying pan or in the fire. Uh, so I would call it Peter Pan. But I, but I give it a title at the end because Peter Pan can. Hallelujah. That's, called, that's how the sermon's going to end. Because Peter Pan can do all things through Christ who strengthens him, just like you and I can. Amen? Hallelujah. So he lauds him, but then he tells them, and, 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 and he rebukes them right after that. See, Peter had gone from the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of darkness in nothing flat. Uh, one second, he's a great guy, and all of a sudden, just like that, man, Peter, what's wrong with you? Now, I want to give you some background to this text. Today, we're going to learn something here in regards to what Jesus is bringing out here. See, Jesus had taken his disciples on a retreat. The Bible says they're to Caesarea Philippi. Did we read that? They'd gone on a lightweight retreat there, and he'd taken his disciples and set them apart. Jesus then asked the disciples two key questions. Number one, he asked them, listen guys, who do men say that I am? He's talking about who do men say. And in speaking for others, they come up with a very favorable and actually very, very flattering answer. You're John the Baptist. You're Jeremiah. You're Elijah. You're one of the prophets. They flatter him. Uh, when he asked the question, who do men say that I am? See, such great honor and tribute was to be counted among such great men, uh, Jeremiah and Elijah, even Moses, because he wrote the law. So the disciples, no doubt, felt that they were, you know, being, uh, 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 bringing Christ honor. Uh, and they were giving him good news by saying to him what others were talking and saying about him. That's what other people are saying about you, Jesus. They're saying good stuff about you. But Christ brushes this answer off about what others say about him, as trivial, as menial, you might say. Uh, no biggie. Then Christ goes on to ask the question of, of real supreme importance and value. Forget about what others might say, what others may talk about me, but who do you say that I am? He makes it personal. He comes right down the freeway. Uh, all of you that have been with me for so long, uh, you that I've been discipling, you, you that have seen me up close and personal, who do you say that I am? You that have been in the home, hallelujah. Uh, you that have been right there on prayer meetings, real close, that have received my blessings. See, it really matters zero what outsiders say of whom Christ is. But what about you? Those of you who I've been closely discipling, uh, have I been penetrating your minds? Have I been penetrating your spirit, your soul? Or have I been wasting my time? Do you really know who I am? Paul says that I might know him in the part of his resurrection, the fellowship of his. Do you really know who I am? And I would say that to you today too, because I know where I'm going with this sermon. Uh, do you really know who Jesus is? Uh, because Jesus doesn't raise up, no. You've got to have grit to really serve the Lord. Uh, You've got to really get in there when you know who he is. Uh, 
Many shall say, Lord, Lord, but uh, do you really love me? Do you, do you keep my commandments? It's not always easy being a genuine Christian. See, so Jesus wants to know, do you really know who I am? You've been with me three and a half years now almost. Uh, see, he's been dilly-dallying with him. He's been messing around with him. But now he begins to talk about his death. He begins to talk about the cross. Now things start getting heavy. Are you with me? Stay with me now. We're going to learn something here this morning. And with this, Pistol Pete, Peter Pan, rises to the heights of kingdom theology. And he says right away, he blabbers out, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He rises to their great heights. Peter was putting Jesus on the very same level as God himself. Peter was very, you know, uh, perceptively giving Jesus his rightful place as God. Are you with me? And thus, with this answer, Christ is very pleased and, and he's very taken in. We can almost see Jesus stand to his feet and his hair stand on his head and say, Oh, Peter, you the man. You the man. Give me five. Ah, oh, you got it going on, Pete. Wow. Ah, all right, Peter, my man, right on. Great answer. But, but, he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this answer to you. You were under the anointing, Peter. That's all. Give God the glory. It wasn't none of yourself. You were under the anointing. That's all that happened. My Father in heaven has shown you that. Not flesh and blood. See, no greater commendation or, or verbal reward could anyone have gotten than what Jesus said of, of Peter then? Peter had to be on what I would call a hallelujah high. He was like, woo. When Pete, Jesus don't give me five, he goes, and he looks at all the other disciples. He was on a hallelujah high. That was the Christ. Ooh, I like that answer. Uh, is that your final answer? Yes, it is. Uh, I'm the million dollar man right now. Um, he felt like a million dollars. So now, now that Peter was on a roll and just, you know, blurting out right Bible answer after right Bible answer, Jesus then decides to really get deep and heavy. And this sermon's going to get a little bit there right now. And he takes Peter and the rest of the disciples uh, under some really, really profound and mind-twisting theology. Look at verses 21 and 23 of Matthew 16. Do you have it? Right there. We're going to cover about three portions of Scripture. This is the first one here today. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to the disciples that he must go to the Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed on the third day, raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, uh, Get out of my way, Satan. And here is as far as Peter could go. Here is where Peter fails miserably. He's on a hallelujah high. Now he's on a, you know, hell bending low. See, here, this is important. Here Peter was now really repeating what others were saying about Jesus. Listen to what I said. He's repeating what others were saying about Jesus. Not what he had said. Not what he thought. He was under the anointing now. He was in his own flesh. Uh, because before, flesh and blood didn't reveal it to him. Now, he's repeating what flesh had revealed to him. Uh, Peter was not dependent on the Holy Ghost anointing. Nor was he expressing any deep Old Testament theology. Peter was only showing that neither he nor any other Bible scholar, even including Satan himself, no one was really able to totally decipher and figure out 
what the Old Testament was really saying about the Messiah. Understand what I said there? They had the Old Testament. They understood it. Sort of. They would read it, but having ears, they couldn't hear. They couldn't really perceive. They didn't know what, you know, yes, Messiah was supposed to come, but they didn't know everything about the Messiah. They thought the Messiah was supposed to come on a, on a you know, high horse and, and get rid of Caesar and, and get rid of, you know, Rome, and, and they were supposed to take over now. Me and Jew. The Jews were supposed to reign. Ah. See, Peter now was saying what flesh and blood had revealed to him. Peter thought, as others thought, the Messiah would come to restore Israel to the days and the power of King David. Because that's what it did say that about that. Uh, he's going to restore the, the, the kingdom of David. That's what the Messiah will do. So they were waiting for a conquering and, and war and swords and all that stuff. We're going to dust Rome. See, most Jews thought that. Then as most Jews still think today, that the Messiah would come and he'd, you know, avenge the Jews from all their fleshly enemies. Even today, some still seek him. The Jews are still waiting for the Messiah. Uh, when he's going to come and, you know, get rid of you know, Yasser, Arafat, and all them fat guys. Uh, all them fat Muslims. And forget about killing Christians. We're going to go get them. Uh, where are they? Men and Dow, let's go get them. Tlun, tlun. They're waiting for the Messiah. He's going to go to Men and Dow. Get rid of all the Muslims. Uh, that Messiah was going to get back at all the people that had mistreated the Jews. That's what they were waiting for. Somebody to come and really help them to get back at their worldly enemies. See, they were fleshly looking at the worldly secular kingdom as their, their arch enemies. While Jesus, on the other hand, was trying to point to Satan and, and his, his strategies as their real enemy, as their real foe. And that for this cause was the Son of Man manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The devil's your real enemy, not the Muslims, not Yasser Arafat, not King Hussein. Not Sodom and Sain. It's the devil. That's the, you know, my kingdom is not of flesh and blood. My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus says. But you got to understand what Messiah is all about. It's not a secular kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. Ah. So Jesus begins to talk about his suffering and his ultimate impending soon coming death. Jesus here begins to now talk about the cross. The cross. A stumbling block to some. Uh, Jesus mentioned to Peter and the disciples that suffering and the cross are of utmost importance and a necessity. I must. Didn't I read those words a must a couple of times? They're a necessity. It's a must. It's of extreme, supreme importance. The cross, my death. I must go. I must die. I must be killed. What? Is this a loving Jesus? The so-called Messiah? You're supposed to die? Uh-uh. Never in no way, Peter says. See, Peter had his thinking, thinking. Like a lot of us when we come to Christ. We don't really know who Jesus is. Today I'm going to try and get you to really, really know uh, what Jesus is all about. See, Jesus didn't see this upcoming and impending death on the cross as a result of a powerful and shrewd and planning and manipulating part of, of his enemies. Did you understand what I said? In other words, Jesus didn't say, I'm not going to die because my enemies are so good. They're so bad that I can't handle them. Uh, they're real strategists. No. They're not that smart. 
If Peter couldn't see it and he knew the Old Testament, you think the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Pharisees couldn't see fair. Ah, if Peter, who walked with Jesus three and a half years, if he didn't understand the cross and, and suffering and who Jesus really was, the Messiah, then how much more of these are going to figure They're going to figure it out. Ah, see, a lot of times our thoughts are not his thoughts. Uh, can we, can we, we think, ooh, that's deep. To Jesus, that's a little bitty stuff. It's nothing. Ah, see, God's world is a spiritual world. My dad knows all about it now. Uh, Jose's mother knows all about it now. Daniel, your mother knows all about it now. Uh, can we just use the prayer away, just a breath away? Uh, they're, they're there. Uh, Renee, your mother knows all about it now. Uh, She's known as, as we are known now. The spiritual world is really what life is all about. But we're always looking at it with secular eyes, material eyes. Uh, they couldn't figure it out. The importance and the necessity of his death on the cross. Then, my friend, nobody could really try to figure that out, what Jesus was all about. See, Christ's enemies, they couldn't and wouldn't be that smart. Or really, maybe should I say, that dumb to play right into the hands of God. Even Jesus would later say, no man takes my life. Ain't nobody tougher than me. I give it up. They're going to kill me. Come on. I'm giving it up as a sacrifice. If they took it, it wouldn't be a sacrifice. But if I give it, it's a sacrifice. So that's what we have to We can't take your money, though we'd like to. Because we need it. We can use it. But you got to give it up as a you got a sacrifice. Then it becomes in God's hands, and God can really use it. Not a sacrifice that we heist it from you. Who took my 20? See the light bulbs? We got some new light bulbs, bro. Hallelujah. God is using you. Ah, count it all joy. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I like this sermon. Verses 6, 7, and 8. Do you have it? We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among who? The mature. Uh, you got to really think about what, what, what Jesus and the Messiah is and what Christianity is really all about. You got to be mature. You got to understand. But not the wisdom of this age, of the rulers of this age, who are coming to what? Nothing. Yes, sir, Arab fat and all them people, you know. No. We speak of God's secret wisdom. A wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They couldn't understand. Remember, I've talked about this before. When Caesar and, and all them people, when they crucified Jesus, they said, We got him. He who the command, man. You know, call some help. No, get to. I thought you was bad. That you're not afraid of nobody. That you give up. <laughs> we got you. No. They weren't that smart and they weren't that dumb. They played right into the hands of God. Messiah had to be crucified. He had to be sacrificed for your sins and mine. To enable to give us eternal life in heaven. That was the plan. The strategies that was before humanity. But nobody could understand it. Peter couldn't understand it. Are you with me? 
But that's when you get saved is when you understand the plan of God. That's when you really, really get saved. Some of you, you come to the altar, but you don't really know what you're doing. you got to know what you're coming for. <laughs> Receive forgiveness of sins. Uh, the forgiveness of sins because of what Christ has done on the cross for you. Then you really get saved. Because Christ comes into your life and gives you strength and power over sin. But Jesus fully understood the need for the cross. See, to Jesus, the suffering of the cross was not an accident. It was not an evil misfortune. Not at all. All things work together for good when God is in it. See, to Jesus, the cross was a vital necessity. Even Paul would later understand fully in the importance of, uh, of the cross. But to Peter, here in Matthew 16, the cross and the suffering of Christ were not looked upon as a biblical and, uh, and a theological necessity. Are you with me? He didn't understand it. Not just yet, anyways. Peter was still a diamond in the rough. He was still a treasure in darkness. He wasn't out of darkness yet. He didn't understand it. So when Christ speaks of the cross, Peter rebukes the, the Lord. Now what an oddity and what audacity. Proud Peter, keep on turning. Ah, rolling. Ay, ay, ay. Peter now doesn't know what to think. He believes Jesus is going mad. Stay with me now. He says, Jesus, you're, 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 you're out of it, Jesus. What do you mean you're going to die? You're supposed to take us to, to Rome. All roads lead to Rome. Come on, not, not to Golgotha, not to Calvary. That's madness. The madness of King Jesus. You certainly can't mean what you're saying, Jesus. How could you, you know, come this far to end it so abruptly? Just like that. It doesn't make sense. Faith never does. See, what's the use of being the Messiah? Then just taking all of, of your tremendous power and you're throwing it away so soon, so quick, so early, without even taking us to Rome yet. That's just not how things are supposed to be. What a waste of a life. He thought Jesus' life was a waste because he's going to throw it all away. Now, here's the key to the sermon. I said all that to say this. What Peter is looking for and trying hard to do, stay with me here, is to find an easier way. Did you hear what I said? He's looking for easy street, both for Jesus and for him. See, Peter liked to be liked. He didn't like to rub people the wrong way. When you're a Christian, not everybody's going to like you. Did you understand that? They're not. I mean, I'm the epitome. I like to be liked. You like me, Stephen? You don't have to come stay with me when you're something else you don't want to. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, I like to be, I don't like to rub people the wrong way. I like to be a nice guy. Uh, everybody likes to be like, but when you're going to be a Christian, not everyone's going to like you. Uh, because you're going to have to sacrifice. And people don't like to sacrifice. They don't want to follow you. They follow the yellow brick road, the easy way. See, certainly the cross and the suffering and the death is not the way to go. If the Messiah is to restore Israel and Peter, and the rest of the disciples, uh, back to the rightful standing, that's not the way to go, the cross. See, Peter, by missing the Old Testament scriptures, was not looking for the Messiah to come to restore the inner righteousness with God, but he was looking for the Messiah to come and restore the outer power for Israel. Are you with me? He didn't think the kingdom of God is within you. Where's the kingdom of God? Within you, not outside. Not secular power. The kingdom of God is inside of you. That's what, that's what changed my life. 
And, you know, when people start refuting the gospel and all that, man, I can, I can take them back to square one, me. This guy should not be here today, not at all. Uh, I mean, all odds were against me, everything. But here I am because of the gospel, because of the power of God. The Holy Ghost, hallelujah, the kingdom of God inside of me. So Peter is trying to tell Jesus that certainly Christ could understand the Messiah is no good for Israel, dead. He needs to be alive, not dead. So Peter is urging, urging Jesus to save his life. Save your life, Jesus. Look for an easier way. This suffering, this cross, this death thing certainly cannot be of God. And what did Jesus say? Hey, in losing your life, you gain it. In gaining your life, you lose it. Suffering cannot be the plan of God. Not for his disciples and surely not for the Messiah. There's got to be a better way. See, but Jesus knew better than to listen to Peter. Peter, like so many Christians right after him, uh, they're always looking for the easy road. In Christianity, there is no easy road. Don't go looking for it. But if you're a brand new Christian, how do you know you're on the world to success? It's uphill all the way. Uh, don't go looking for the easy road. There's none. Uh, the Calvary road is a rocky road. Man, I didn't know it was going to be like this. You know what I always say, but I like to say it. Uh, man, I wish I was ever born again. Uh, because a lot of people say, I wish I'd never been born. But that, most people, when they become a Christian, once they figure out the cost and the price and, you know, the, all, the, all this stuff, they say, man, you've got to be kidding. Uh, salvation is free, but then everything else, you've got a price. Uh, the people don't like that. Ah, that's, <laughs> no, no, no. But here we preach the gospel here, and we not only preach it, we want to live it. Ah, you want to be a good Christian, a good disciple. A lot of people want to live on Blessing Boulevard. They don't want the Emmaus Road, the Calvary Road. But remember, church, uh, the Calvary Road is, is always a rocky road. See, we're living in a day and an age and a time when many Christians still believe as Peter did before his solid conversion. So many Christians think that suffering and poverty and sickness and calamities should never, never, never happen to a real Christian. How you doing, blessed? I'm blessed, brother. Oh, I'm blessed. Blessed. You going through anything? Oh, no, 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 brother. No, 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 no. Uh, evidence. Evidence. Uh, overcoming life. Uh, evidence. Uh, we, we, a lot of people believe that. When Joseph, the Bible says, was in prison, he prospered. But where was he? In prison. Christian was in prison. Yeah, Joseph was thrown in prison for a number of years. But he prospered in prison. You can still have the prosperity gospel and suffer. A lot of people don't like that. No, 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 no. It's not right. It's not true. It's not good. It's not God. Uh, see, the road to life and riches and prosperity is not always the road of least resistance. Listen to what I just said there. The road to riches is not always the road to least resistance. Bible says, where does God build his highway, highways? On the mountaintops. Not on the easy road, Pacific Coast Highway. God does things the hard way. But that's the best way. What have I said about a butterfly? How's a butterfly born? Through, through, through a cocoon. Through, through fighting. Ah. Remember that illustration that I've used with the seven? I'm not going to do it right now. Remember that illustration that I've used with him? What do I do? I pick him up and I carry him. That's hard. But that's how you get energy. 
And a snowstorm, if you pick somebody up, it's going to be hard, but, but, but at least the, the sweat and the, the heat will, will, will keep you alive. But that's the hard way. Uh, but the hard way is sometimes the best way. So while Peter saw the cross as an enemy, Jesus saw it in a completely different light. Jesus saw the cross as a necessity, as the road to salvation. So while Peter looked at Jesus as going a bit mad, and thus, you know, he was more or less tells Jesus, no, you're not going to the cross. If you, if, if, you know, Jesus, over my dead body. You're not going to the cross. And he says, what does he say? Get out of my way, Satan, over my dead body. I want to run over you if I have to, but I'm going to that cross. Get out of my way, Satan. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying in the J.B. Phillips translation. Get out of my way. Because if you get in my way, Peter, can anybody, I am resolute in heart. I got to go to the cross. If you understand it or if you don't understand it, I understand salvation is hinging on the balance. Messiah's got to do what a Messiah's got to do. A Christian's got to do what a Christian's got to do. You got to do it. You got to go through it. Ah. Uh, See, Jesus wasn't looking for the easy road, like Peter and so many Christians after him. Man is by and large religious by nature. But we are usually always looking for an easy religion. Hey, uh, Christianity is okay. I'll go, I'll go to church, but only on Sundays. See, we don't want to pay the price. Last Friday, let me salute you. The place was packed. Oh, no, no, it was full, full, full. Not packed, but full. People are getting a hold of God. Ah, not just coming on Sundays. It was powerful service we had over here. Look at 1 Kings 12, then I'm done. Very important. 1 Kings chapter 12. You know what? I'm going to skip it. Go to Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1. If you want to hear it, come to the next service. <laughs> It'd be worth it, but it's okay. You don't have to. You don't have to pay the price. It's okay. Uh, I want to finish with this one. Let me say, finish with anything, with this one. Romans 12.1, very, very famous portion of scripture. Right, everybody knows Romans 12.1. Let me set the stage, because I got some time now. In Romans chapter 1 through 11, we've covered Romans verse by verse. Remember that? We went through it years ago, one verse at a time. When we got to Romans 12.1, we said, Romans is such a beautiful, beautiful uh, letter. The most powerful book probably in the Bible. Uh, very spiritual. And in Romans chapter 1 through 11, Paul is climbing a, a hill, a mountain uh, of theology, even of, 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 of homiletics and, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, he, he's getting doctrinal and getting real deep and he's climbing a big, big mountain. But in Romans 12, he makes it to the top. And look what he says. Therefore, now that he's at the top, therefore after he's painted all this doctrinal theological stuff, since I've told you all about theology, Paul says, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view. See, now he's at the top of the mountain, and he's looking down. And he's looking down at what? The mercies of God. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as what? A living sacrifice. Now, to us, we read that all the time. We say, woo, offer your bodies, religious bodies, a living sacrifice. We take it as nothing. That was deep. That was deep back in those days. That was, that was a new theology. That was a new teaching. Because the, 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 the Jews uh, and the proselyted Jews, what they would do is they would offer turtle doves. They would offer lambs. 
They would offer goats. They would offer animals for their sins. Ah. But God says, God says to Paul, no more doves. Ya estuvo con the animals. It's over. It's time for you to be the sacrifice. A living, holy, and acceptable sacrifice. The Jews didn't like that. Jews didn't want to sacrifice. Hey, hey go get me a lamb, man. Uh, the one with the lame leg, you know, it's the, you know, the one ready to die. Bring that one. That's what they used to do. Who was he? It's a cop out. But once Jesus goes to the cross, it's over. Huh? No more copping out. You be the sacrifice. The person, the body, the individual. So you can't get around it. You have to be the sacrifice. We have to be the sacrifice. People. We have to learn how to live sacrificially. We got to go to the cross. I die daily. Nobody wakes up. Nobody. You got to start the new day. Got to die again. Wake up in the morning. Die. Die. Temptation come die. Temptation come die. Temptation come die. Temptation die. You gotta die daily all the time. Uh, your body has to be the sacrifice now. No more turtle doves. No more animals. We have to be willing to sacrifice. Peter Pan. Stephen the Pan. And you know what a burnt offering was? It meant the whole thing. They would get, they would get the dove, they would get the animal, they'd make a, they didn't even know it, they were making the sign of the cross. They'd cut them like this and like this. And they would present it and they would burn the whole thing. We have to die totally. Every day, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto Christ. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. There's no other way of getting around to people. If I'm going to preach a gospel, this is the gospel. This is the truth. But in giving, you get. God is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. All things work together for good. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Sacrifice is the greatest reward. Jesus knew what he had to do and he did it. You and I as Christians know what we got to do. When we don't die to ourselves, we get in trouble. Because we reap what we sow. When you're out doing your own thing and getting out of God's grace level, wow. That's not sacrificing anymore. We can't be out there partying on Saturdays. We got to sacrifice and stay home and get a hold of the things of God get ready for Sunday if we just can't live one or two days out of the week for God I die daily Christianity is a 24-7 kind of a thing Peter couldn't understand it if he couldn't understand it the other people couldn't understand it but listen we're this side of the cross our eyes have been illuminated we can understand we have the Holy Spirit in us to, to show us all things reveal us all things Take us through all truth. And as every head is bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray for those of you here this morning.